Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Today, we're going to be talking about King David and specifically the Davidic covenant that God made with David. And you don't want to miss this next week as we talk about the Messianic covenant or the new covenant that God established. And a covenant is simply this. It was a promise and an agreement. And in Scripture, we see conditional covenants and then unconditional covenants in Scripture. And who knows that God always keeps his end of the bargain. Amen? And what's amazing is every time that God makes a covenant, we get a deeper revelation and understanding of who he is and his character and his heart. So if you don't have one of these booklets, we call them our syllabus. It's a resource that we put together um, to invest into you and your family to follow along. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't have one of these booklets, why don't you just go ahead and raise your hand and our ushers, we can get one to you real quick. If you can grab some, there should be some behind that connection center counter. I believe, yeah, just keep your hand raised. They'll get some. Um, But this is an investment that we made into you and your family. And here's what's amazing about this. Yeah, they're going around is that within here you can take notes, you can follow along, read the summaries. There's actually family devotionals in there as well where you can gather with your children uh, because what's being taught here is also being taught in a way that they can understand it over there. Um, So don't be surprised if your kids start quizzing you after church. So if you start falling asleep, just say, I'm going to stay awake because if my kids ask me, I want to make sure I'm listening and paying attention. Yeah, they're going around. Uh, If if y'all don't have any more, um, you can scan the QR code if they happen to have the QR code for the syllabus. I believe they do have some more. Perfect. They just opened up a new pack. You can keep your hand raised. We're going to read the summary found within it. Talking about the Davidic covenant. It says this, the Davidic covenant, and this is week five, I believe. The Davidic covenant was God's unconditional promise to David that concerned his offspring, house, kingdom, and throne, both naturally and spiritually. After King David was settled in his palace in Jerusalem, he wanted to build a house rather than a tent for the Ark of the Covenant and told the prophet Nathan, here I am living in a house of cedar while the Ark of God remains in a tent. And this is a portion of what we're fixing to read in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord responded to David through the prophet that the Lord himself will establish a house and kingdom through David's lineage. This led to the building of the temple through David's son Solomon and also pointed ultimately to the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ, David's greatest son. So we just read the summary found within that booklet, your syllabus. But if you don't mind, can you stand in honor of reading of God's word? Anybody ready for the word today again? Come on. Turn with me to, or tap with me on your phone or follow along with your eyes on the screens to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 through 16. And... uh, Whenever you get a chance, I encourage you, we encourage you to read all of 2 Samuel chapter 7. It is a heavy and packed chapter. In fact, there are actually 40 prophecies found in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that have since been fulfilled. And we're going to read a portion of them started from the beginning. But this is the covenant that God established with David. And really the climax, the, the important part, really, the main part of the covenant is found in verse 16, the last verse we're going to read. It says this. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Just imagine this for a second. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind for the Lord is with you. But that same night the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved around from from one place to another with the tent and tabernacle as my dwelling. This is God talking. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people, Israel. 
I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they have done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings, speaking to David, for when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Now get this, this, this covenant actually has a double fulfillment in it because God's speaking to David about the near future, but also about the far future. He's speaking about his son Solomon that will build the temple, but he's ultimately pointing to Jesus as well. That's why it says, I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do, speaking of Solomon. But my, fa my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Now this verse right here, this is where we want to land. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secured for how long? Ten years? Hundred years? Forever. Talking about the Davidic covenant. I've got a lot of scripts we're going to be going over. I've got a lot of different things I felt like God wanted me to share but I pray that the Holy Spirit would just begin to speak to you in a personal way as well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, right now, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, for these moments that we get to share here together. God, we open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word. Let it fall on good soil. Let it fall on good ground. I pray right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every single morning, God. We love you so much in Jesus' mighty name. It's all about you. Go ahead and give King Jesus a shout of praise in this place. Come on. You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing in honor of reading of God's word. Today we are talking about King David, one of my favorite characters and people in scripture. And there's so much, y'all, that could be said about King David and his life. In fact, did you know that there is actually more written about King David than any other person in the Bible, other than Jesus, of course? Jesus is number one. It's all about Jesus. He's the number one most mentioned individual in Scripture. But after Jesus, the runner-up is David, as far as how many times he is mentioned. He is mentioned over 900 times. Um, 59 times of which is found in the New Testament. And the runner-up to David is actually Abraham. There are actually 14 chapters in the Bible that talk about the life of Abraham. But get this, David, on the other hand, there are 66 chapters that chronicle the life of King David from whenever he's a little boy all the way to whenever he has some hair on his chest and he becomes an old man. He becomes an old king, and he eventually passes away. So we could assume, and we know, that this person, this, this guy, King David, was a guy that God wanted us to, to learn from and, and to know about. And God did fulfill his promise to make his name famous. Even though David had his fair share of mistakes and big mess-ups and shortcomings, we need to understand that David was God's chosen king for the nation of Israel. And it would be through King David and his lineage that God would send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to secure and sit on the throne of David as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? But my question is this, why King David? What made King David different? Well, I believe that 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14 
answers that question. And to give you some context to what we're fixing to read right now, we, we talked about the Mosaic Covenant last week and how God brought the nation of the Israel out of captivity, out of slavery, and they were in the wilderness for 40 years, and then Moses and his generation passed away. Joshua rose up, and now they go into the promised land. They conquered. They take over. At this point, the nation of Israel has inhabited the promised land, and God himself was their king. But God also appointed there to be judges to help govern the people of Israel. But for the people of Israel, they were stubborn. They wanted to be like the nations that were surrounding them, and they wanted to have a man that they could see to be their king to lead them. So they rejected God as their king. They rejected the prophet Samuel as their judge. And guess what? God gave them what they wanted. Oh, man, sometimes that's the worst thing that can happen to us. God gives us what we want. He gave them what they wanted, and that's where King Saul, the first king for the nation of Israel, that's where he came to be. But get this, Saul was the people's king. Saul was not God's chosen king. And Saul ended up turning his heart away from God through his pride and disobedience. He turned away from God, and that's when the prophet Samuel approaches Saul and tells him this right here in 1 Samuel 13, 14. He says, but now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. Speaking of David, the Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. Believe it or not, did you know that this is the only person, David was the only person to receive this title, to be a man after God's own heart? See, the people of Israel, they were looking for a king. You know what God was looking for? A heart. They were looking for a king God was looking for a heart. Now, it did not say that David had God's heart. <laughs> it said he was a man after God's heart. This title did not speak of perfection. This title spoke to his pursuit after God because we know David messed it up big time. Some big boo-boos. He, like, for example, he, we find in Scripture that he ended up sleeping with Bathsheba, committing adultery, sending her husband on the front lines. In other words, he committed murder. But get this, every time that David failed and every time that David sinned, he humbled himself before the Lord with a heart of repentance and said, Lord, forgive me. My sin is ever before me. Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, I desire to dwell in your house. God, I need your presence. God, I need your presence, Lord. See, from whenever he was a shepherd boy out in the field taking care care of the sheep, the, the lion and the bear, all the way to facing Goliath, to being on the run from King Saul, all the way to sitting on the throne himself. David was a man after God's own heart who sought and seeked and pursued after the presence of God. He was a man after God's own heart. So much so that, get this, that whenever David, do you want to know one of the first things that David did? Whenever he was anointed and appointed king, one of the first things that David did was this. He decided, I'm bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, which represented the presence of God, that is being brought to Jerusalem, the capital. I am bringing the presence of God close to the heart of my kingdom. That's what David desired. So they ended up bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and, and get this, every six paces that they took with the Ark of the Covenant, the scripture says that they, David ordered for there to be animals to be slain and sacrificed unto God as a sign of worship and gratitude. And David instructed for there to be musicians and praisers and singers to be there to sing before the Lord as they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant. And at one point, David himself, 
He started dancing before the Lord in the ephod, in the priest's robe, so much so that he embarrassed his wife, Michael. said, what do you think you're doing out there? But he responded by saying, if you only knew what I know, if it wasn't for that ark, if it wasn't for that God, if it wasn't for his presence, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even be here today. See, David, not only was he a warrior, David was a worshiper. He worshiped God. He was a man after God's own heart. And you want to know what David did whenever they brought the Ark of the Covenant within Jerusalem? David did something that we don't see happen again in Scripture. David set up another tabernacle, another system, another place of worship, which was unlike the tabernacle that God prescribed to Moses. In fact, it was known as this, David's tabernacle. In fact, we have a picture of what this would have looked like, a side-by-side -side comparison, because you know, if you've been to Riverside Church for any length of time, you know we love to talk about and teach about the tabernacle, right? The, the, the temple even eventually became the temple of Solomon, the system of worship that is there from the outer courts, the, the, the brazen altar, the laver, then the holy place, right? Uh, and then the most holy place or holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And, and get this, for Moses' tabernacle, it was only the priest who could go within the holy place, but only the high priest who could go into the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was once a year, on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. But as you can see to the right, man, David's tabernacle was so much different. For starters, Moses had three areas, three compartments, three rooms. David's, one big room. Where instead of the Ark of the Covenant being behind layers of curtains and robes, and only a few people could go into there. Guess what? Moses had it in this ginormous tent. He had the Ark of the Covenant right in the center, and get this, he surrounded the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, with thousands of musicians, Levitical priests, praisers, worshipers, choir members, gatekeepers, and he would surround the Ark of the Covenant with worship. 24-7, 365 unto God, and God allowed this to happen for 33 years, which I believe pointed to Jesus and how Jesus would walk the earth for the 33 years that he did. But God used David to show us the importance and significance of how much he values and yearns for our praise and worship unto him. In fact, you know many of the songs we sing today in church, many of the songs that we sing today actually come from and were inspired from psalms that were composed and written thousands of years ago in the in the tabernacle of David. They composed music that was there. In fact, did you also know that there are seven recorded Old Testament revivals that have taken place, and in every single one of them, it involved them placing and putting the musicians and the singers in place before God. See, there is something about our praise and worship that moves the heart of God. That's why the scripture says that God's presence inhabits the praises of his people, that whenever our praises go up, oh, come on, his presence comes down. Come on, has anybody ever experienced experience the presence of God when you come to church, when you're in your car, and you begin to play worship, and you begin to sing songs, and you feel the anointing, you feel the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. This is what David was after. This is what David desired. He wanted everyone to experience the presence and power of God, and they allowed those people in to be there where only one man can be, and God allowed it for 33 years years. That's why in Acts chapter 15, when you get a chance, read it, check it out. In Acts chapter 15, we actually find the early church having a dispute, having a, a gathering as they talk about the Gentiles that are joining the church. 
And they talk about circumcision and all that stuff. And I'll let Pastor Bobby talk about it next week. Or actually, he talked about it last week, I think, or two weeks. But they have this discussion. And they're like, no, we don't want to have these people in this and that. And that's whenever James, the brother of Jesus, one of the early church leaders, steps up and says this in Acts 15. And I'm paraphrasing. He said that God has rebuilt and he is rebuilding the tabernacle of David where, guess what? Now God is calling every tribe and nation and tongue and son and daughter, Jew and Gentile. And no longer will the presence of God just be fruitful be for one person, but thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, our great high priest who stepped in one time, fulfilled it all, the veil was torn, and now we get to experience the presence of God. This is like a picture of David's tabernacle. We get to gather and praise God. Do we have any worshipers in the place today? Come on, do we have any people in here that know how to praise God? He set it up. He set it up. And I can't help but to thank this, y'all. I can't help but to think about this, that part of the reason that God told David, part of the covenant promise was this. What was it? I will secure your throne forever. And I can't help but to think about this, that the reason God promised that was partly due, and this is my opinion, because David had a heart and a desire to enthrone God with praise himself. He desired to build God a throne, to enthrone him among the people of Israel. That's why it says in Psalm 22, verse 3, it says, but you are holy, David's talking, enthroned in the praises of Israel. You know what happens when we sing praises unto God? Well, we're building God a throne in our hearts. When we worship God, we're, David desired for God to be enthroned and lifted up to the people of Israel. But David not only desired for God to be enthroned, you know what else David desired? David desired for God to have a house. That may sound weird to you. It's like, what, what are you talking about? He desired the Ark of the Covenant, the house of God. You know that even today, that, that, that in the New Testament, that that. This right here, when we gather together, this we are considered the house of God. That we are a holy habitation of people. Yes, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But when we gather together, we become a holy habitation. We become a house. That's why David said, I was glad in his day. I was glad when they sent it to me. Let us go to the house of the Lord. He desired for God to have a house. See, and that brings us all the way back. To 2 Samuel chapter 7, in the opening scripture that we read, where do we find? Let me, let me tell you what we find David at in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We find David finally walking and sitting in his kingship. David is finally secured in his kingship. He has united the kingdoms. He has conquered. He has fought wars. He's been on the run. He's been through so much and now he is king, he is in Jerusalem, and God has put the enemies that have surrounded them, surrounded him to rest, and he has the Ark of the Covenant in the tent at David's tabernacle. And just imagine this for a second, because in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we find David, and he's looking out from his extravagant palace, and he says this, he said, how is it that I live in this beautiful palace made of cedar wood? But when I look out, I see the ark of God, the presence of God in a tent. And if you want to go deeper, you know that cedar wood? That was a luxury material, y'all. Like that was designed. That was like Gucci, Louis V, like all, like in a house. Because you couldn't get that. You couldn't get that from, from, from the nation of Israel. That had to be imported from Lebanon, from King Tyre that was there. David's palace was beautiful, magnificent. Foreigners came in and helped construct it. And now we find David seated on the throne in his house there, having the Ark of the Covenant there in the tabernacle and saying to himself, I can't stand the thought of God's house being less than my house. No longer am I going to allow the presence of God to just be carried around in a, in a tent while I have all this right here. God, I'm going to do, I want to build you a house. And that's when the prophet Nathan responds. And I'm paraphrasing. He says this, 
God speaks to the prophet Nathan and says this, David, because you desire and have a heart to build my house, guess what? I'm going to build your house. And a dynasty of kings will come from you. Your offspring will construct my temple, and I will secure your throne and your kingdom forever. Oh, come on. Who in here is thankful that when we build God's house, oh, come on. When we take care of God's house, he'll take care of our house. That whenever we take care of God's business, he'll take care of our business. The scripture says, unless God build the what? House, those that labor, labor in vain. God said, you want to build me a house, David? Guess what? Because you have that desire, I am going to build you a house. And God followed through with everything that he said. You know that? Because God keeps his word. He followed through. He kept his end of the bargain. Guess what? David's dynasty is one of the longest dynasties that have ever existed. Spanned over 400 400 years. And God used King Solomon, his son, to build the temple because the scripture says that David couldn't because he had too much bloodshed on his hands. But even then, David set up his son for success, Solomon, and gathered all the materials to make it easier for him. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart, and he wanted to build his house. But quick question real quick, because you may feel like, well, what about the throne? Because when you study history, get this for a second, because you know you don't have to go far in the Bible to see humanity miss the mark and mess up and sin right? We, we see a cycle in the book of Judges and the kings, right, uh, of the people of Israel having their heart towards God and away from God. And there was a conditional covenant that was there established, established and, and, and with Moses that said, hey, if you stay with me and, and you follow after me, you're, you're never going to lose a battle. You're going to be taken care of. You will be free. And we find the nation of Israel a few hundred years after David, get this, many of David's sons, People that were part of his bloodline became evil and corrupt and wicked, and they turned their heart from God. And the people of Israel made idols and turned their heart from God. And the nation and kingdom of Israel at one point was in, it was, it was in shambles. It had, been, it had been underneath the captivity of another nation. God kept his end, but the nation of Israel didn't keep theirs. And now we find, get this, we find the throne of David Empty. And you may be saying to yourself, God, did you lie? You told him that you would secure his throne and kingdom forever. But now there is no kingdom. It's like a puppet kingdom during the time of the Roman Empire. King Herod was there, but he really wasn't the the king of Israel. He wasn't really a descendant of King David. God, did you forget? Have you forgotten? Did you lie? Let me tell you, God cannot and he will not lie. He will stay true to his word. And all along the way, God was getting ready to step in and send his son. And here's my first point before I get ahead of myself, y'all. Ooh, man, I'm just, I feel, thank you, Jesus. Come on, anybody love the word of God? I know I'm passionate. I pray that you're grabbing a hold of this, right? I just feel the presence. Thank you, Lord. First point I want to give you is this that Jesus secured the throne through the line of David. He secured the throne through the line, the lineage. Because guess what? God told David this, that I will have someone on your throne from your lineage, from your lineage. See, that's why we find in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 33, it says this, And this is actually the the angel Gabriel that appeared before Mary and announces the birth of Jesus. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. Get this, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great. And get this, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God, 
the Lord God will give him what? The throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Isn't that amazing? His kingdom from his, he will be an ancestor of David. And we know, we know that, that Mary, the Virgin Mary, she, she conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the immaculate conception that took place. She was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, that made Jesus God in the flesh, 100% man, 100% God. That's why he's also known as the Son of God as well. He was God in the flesh. But Joseph, let me tell you, Joseph, Joseph was just the stepdaddy. He was the stepfather in a way, you could say. That came in, and yeah, Joseph played a role, and he played a part. But guess what? God remembered. Can you just imagine this for a second? Jesus came through that specific family line through Mary and Joseph. Not any other family line. But he decided, I'm coming through this line. Why? Because I'm going to stay true to my word. I'm going to stay true to my promise. And I'm going to stay true to the covenant that I made with David. And his throne and kingdom will be secured forever. And Jesus came in. Even Mary. Did you know that Mary, that her bloodline goes all the way back to King David as well? In fact, I want to show you this picture real quick. This family tree that we find of both Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, and this is amazing because if you go back further, you know, we, we could make this chart even bigger, and I encourage you, read it for yourself, Matthew 1, Luke 3. Matthew 1, Luke 3, that's where both of these come from, but if you go further back on King David's, if you go back on, on, on his bloodline, we'll see that he, his bloodline goes through Abraham, goes through Noah, all the way back to Adam, Right? God kept his covenant even to all of them. It just builds up, and it builds up, and then we get to King David. And then all of a sudden, we see a split in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. And some people have said, oh, this is a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. Why? Because one relates to the genealogy of Mary going back to King David, and the other one relates to Joseph going back to King David. And guess what? They both ultimately point to King Jesus what does that mean? That means this, that this right here proves and shows that Jesus is the true, authentic, legit, rightful heir of the throne of King David. And isn't it amazing that despite all the mess-ups, all the mistakes, all the sins, all the wicked acts, all the time that they turned away from God, God said, I'm keeping my covenant with David. I will stay true to my word, and I'm sending a king, and his name will be Jesus. His name is King Jesus, and he will sit and secure the throne of David. See, that's why the Bible also calls David this. I mean, calls Jesus this, the son of David. In the New Testament, you find it multiple times. The people call out and they say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That was a messianic title. They were waiting for the, for the, son, of, for, for the son of David to come in and deliver them from the oppression. But what they didn't realize is that Jesus the, really came to deliver them from themselves and sin and the enemy, which is the greatest enemy of all. And Jesus is known as the son of David. But question, how could Jesus be the son of David but also be the son of God? Because that may sound confusing. How could Jesus be the son of David but he's also the son of God? And this is also what tripped up the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22. Anybody want to go deeper in this? You want to go deeper? We can. We can stop right now. No, we're not. Matthew 22 this is what tripped up the Pharisees as well, because check this out right here. Jesus conversates with them. He says, then surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he, they replied. And they replied, he is what? He is what? The son of David. Speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus responded, then why does David speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit call the Messiah my Lord? 
For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor, my right hand, until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Man, isn't Jesus so smart? I love it in the Bible when you read scripture, and it's like they ask Jesus questions, and he asks them a question, and they're like, oh, you know what I mean? It's like so awesome. He said, how could he, the Messiah, be the Lord, but also be the Son? How, how does that make sense? See, because they knew that one of the titles the Messiah would have, the, part of his identity would be the Son of David. And also, the scripture even says the branch of David, the offspring of David. That's why we find in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 5, it said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Speaking of Jesus, but get this. Jesus wasn't just the branch of David. You know what Jesus also calls himself? The root of David. That's why we see this in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. You read this in your Bible, the words are in red. This is Jesus talking. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Question, how could Jesus be the branch and the root? How could Jesus be the Son, but also the Lord? You mean to tell you how? Because Jesus wasn't just a descendant of David. He was also the creator and originator of David. He was the branch and the root. That means that he existed before, during, and forevermore. That's why the scripture calls God the Alpha, and the omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus, the first and the last, the ancient day. Come on, let me tell you right now, he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and he is seated on the throne. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in a place of authority. He has secured the, the, the throne of David. He has defeated death, hell, and the grave. Is anybody thankful for King Jesus who is seated on high? He is the branch. He is the root. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the great I am. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God told David this. I'm going to secure your throne. Your throne will be secured forever. But guess what? God didn't just, just, didn't just promise David a throne. You know what God promised David? A kingdom. He said, I'm giving you a throne. I'm going to secure the throne but I'm also giving you a, a kingdom that will continue. Here's my second point I want to give you. We're just going to jump right into it, y'all. That the kingdom of God, speaking of the kingdom of God, reigns above it all. That was the main message of Jesus. You read the Bible? He said the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus proclaimed and preached, the scripture says, the gospel, the good news of what? The kingdom. He declared and he proclaimed the kingdom of of God. See, because you know, we know this, that, that a kingdom, if you've been a part of Riverside Church for any length of time, or, or last year when we talked about the kingdom of God, we had this semester, we talked about this, we, we, we dived deeper in this, but simply put, a kingdom is this. A kingdom speaks to the influence and the power that a king has that is extended among a region, a people, or a territory. So it speaks to the influence and power that a king has. That's a kingdom, simply put. And who knows, if you study history, I don't know, do we have any history nerds in the place? I love history. Math, not a big fan. History, love history. But when you study history, what happens? Kingdoms have come and gone. Empires have risen and fallen. But God promised David this. He said, I will give you a kingdom that's going to reign and rule forever. But when we look back over what we just said, what happened? They, the people of Israel messed up. The kings weren't faithful to God. 
the kingdom of Israel fell and it was in ruins. And different, get this, different nations actually came over and they were oppressing the people of Israel. In fact, the first one that took over the northern and southern kingdom was Babylon. Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon was ruling over the nation of Israel. But even then, guess what? God never forgot his promise to David. And in Daniel chapter 2, I encourage you, read Daniel chapter 2. Just for a show of hand, I, I just, I'm just curious to know, who in here has ever read or, or studied the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar found in Daniel 2? Okay, about 5%. I'm going to show you something that's going to blow your mind. Because God is so good, and he stays true to his word, and he knows all things. In Daniel chapter 2, we find King Nebuchadnezzar, who happens to be the king of Babylon, have a dream. And he has a dream that troubles him so much that, that it bothers him in his sleep, and he, he's tossing and turning. He's trying to figure out what this dream means. So he brings in all these sorcerers. He brings in these magicians. He bring in, brings in these astrologers. He brings in all these wise men, and he tells them this. He says this. Get this. He says, I want you to tell me the dream. What dream am I having? But here's the catch. I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You tell me the dream, but not only tell me the dream, interpret the dream for me. And if you don't, you're going to die. Daniel, you know Daniel from the lion's den, right? See, this right here, this is taking place after the nation of Israel is under captivity, under Babylon, another kingdom. God promised David a kingdom. God, what's going on? King Nebuchadnezzar has a stream. Daniel prays. God gives Daniel a vision. And in this vision, anybody want to see what this dream was? You're like, what are you talking about? What is this dream? This is the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. In fact, you have that picture of that statue. He had this dream of this statue. And he had this dream of this statue whose head was gold, chest and arms were silver, belly and thighs were bronze, the legs were iron, and the feet were a mix of iron and clay. And then the scripture says that a big rock came in that was cut from a mountain that wasn't cut from human hands. In other words, speaking, it came from God. Rock came in, boom, hit the bottom, the thing fell over, and then this rock turned into a great mountain that outlived the rest. And this was the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, and he couldn't figure out what it was about. But then we're about to read it right here in Daniel chapter 2, an explanation, interpretation of that dream. And get this, did you know? that this scripture right here is one of the, the key apologetical like tools, the, the way for people to give like a reason for the hope that we have as far as like the Bible being true and authentic. This is one of the most powerful prophetic prophecies that we find in scripture that have actually turned many people's heart to Christ because we find Daniel saying a prophecy that God gives him about kings and kingdoms that would rule and reign over time hundreds of years before it ever took place. Daniel chapter 2, check this out. It says, that was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Worship team, y'all can go ahead and come up. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. This is Daniel speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, Power, strength and honor he has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control you are the head of gold but after your kingdom in other words he was saying that right there that head of gold represented the Babylonian empire King Nebuchadnezzar he said that is you but after your kingdom comes to an end another kingdom inferior to yours will rise and take your place and that kingdom has fallen yet a third after that kingdom has fallen yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world following that kingdom there will be a fourth one as strong as iron that kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes the feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay showing that this kingdom will be divided like iron mixed with clay it will have some of the strength of iron but while some parts of it will be as strong as iron other parts will be as weak as clay this mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other 
over, through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. But get this right here. Get this. During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered, and it will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. My gosh. Written in 600 B.C. or so, 600 years before Christ would come, right here, we find King Nebuchadnezzar have this dream. He doesn't know what it's about. He doesn't know, he doesn't know how to understand. Daniel comes in, and God reveals and gives him a vision of what this dream means. See, King Nebuchadnezzar, get this, he was the ruler of Babylon, which was ruling much of the known world, the, the empire, the kingdom there in that day and age. They were ruling over the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, and God uses an Israelite, Daniel, to speak to the king and tell him what the dream is and interpret what it meant going all the way back to King David. God remembered the kingdom. Check this out, because get this. And what am I trying to say? That throughout all the empires and kingdoms, because I want to show you this real quick. Can you show that picture of all the kingdoms? Because just, just like Daniel said it, God fulfilled it. Just like Daniel prophesied it, it happened throughout history, just like we see it. The head of gold, which was the Babylonian Empire, ruled from 605 B.C. to 539 B.C. The Persian Empire, the silver chests and arms that overthrew the more powerful empire, ruled from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. The Greek Empire, the bronze thighs and belly, took over. 331 B.C. to 168 B.C. That's when they were, the, they were the world power, the most powerful one. And then the Roman Empire from 168 B.C. to 476 A.D. Took in, came over and took over. Come on, has anybody ever seen that trend so far? They, they asked their husbands and boyfriend, how often do you think of the Roman Empire? Daniel was the first one. He, he had, God revealed it to him. Because get this, just like Daniel said it and God revealed it, it happened one by one in the Roman Empire. Get this. We know that the, the, the iron feet that were part clay, half iron, there was a divided kingdom, it says. It will be divided. That was speaking to the fall and the division of the Roman Empire, which was one of the greatest world powers that have ever existed for the longest period of time over much of the known world. But guess what? God said, there's another kingdom coming. Oh, that a rock would come from a mountain that would be cut, not with human hands, but a rock would come from heaven and would come down and it would hit the feet. The whole thing would fall. All those empires and kingdoms would crumble and be no more, but that this rock would grow into a mountain and it would outrank and outlive the rest. Oh, come on, somebody. What am I trying to say? God kept the promise to King David throughout the empires and kingdoms that ruled and reigned. He said, I have not forgotten my covenant. I have not forgotten what I've spoken. And guess what? When Jesus stepped in, when did he come? He came during the time of the Roman Empire. You know what Christianity did? Christianity turned the whole world upside down. Him and the disciples turned the whole world upside down. And here's what I want you to get, because you may be saying to yourself, how does this pertain to me? What does this have to do with me? Guess what? If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we are citizens of that kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the king. God kept his covenant. God, Jesus established the kingdom. We are part of the kingdom. The kingdom of God reigns above it. Oh, come on, can we stand to our feet today? It happened just as God described it. He established a king and kingdom that will reign forever and will forever reign. Jesus secured the throne of King David and established the kingdom. I don't know about you, we're about to leave this place. I know we went deep, I know we went longer, but here's, this is what you need to grab a hold of because this is what I felt like God wanted me to share with you. Because sometimes 
We get so anxious. We get fearful. We get so confused. And we get so caught up with, with other things that really aren't the most important things in life. And we get caught in the trap of comparison and, and we focus just on this life and the kingdoms and empires of this world that we forget that we are part of the kingdom of God, that this earth will pass away and the things in it, the house, the car, the, the bank account, all those things, but it's the kingdom of God that will reign forever. We need to make sure that we're seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness. We follow after King Jesus because guess what? You're a part of a kingdom. We are sons and daughters. In fact, Romans 8 verse 16 says it like this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are what? Because we're talking about we're children of God. We are what? God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You are a co-heir with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings. In other words, we're going to face trial, tribulation, at times persecution. But it says this. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Here's my conclusion I want to give you today. The Davidic covenant is fulfilled through Jesus and continues through us. Just imagine this for a second. Jesus took care of everything that he needed to do. He ascended to heaven. Scripture says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But did you know the scripture also says that we are seated with him in heavenly places in the spirit? that we are joint heirs and co-heirs with Christ in the spirit, even while we're in this world. It's almost like whenever Jesus took a seat, he pulled up another seat and said, hey, sit right here as my bride, my queen. I want to rule and reign through you. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what attacks you may be going through. But let me tell you, the kingdom of God reigns above every other kingdom. And the kingdom of darkness and Jesus is Lord. He is seated on the throne. We're a part of his kingdom. And he's coming back one day. But in the meantime, can we just praise him? Can we worship him? Can we just follow after him? I want us right now in this moment. I wonder if it could be like the house, the, the, the David's tabernacle right now. Can we just stretch up our hands? What do we feel comfortable doing in this moment? Can we just focus? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you, Lord, that we are citizens of your kingdom, God, that you are faithful to fulfill everything that you promised, Lord God. I just pray right now in Jesus' name that we would walk in our identity as co-heirs, God, that we aren't just like anybody else, but that we are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, sons and daughters, joint heirs with Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, right now. We praise you. We worship you. We honor you in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, can we sing them? Come on, can we go ahead and give them some praise in this place? Can we sing it out before we leave? Come on. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.